we begin with uh, looking back at 1 Kings 18, those last couple of verses. And it says, Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. That sounds, those are some interesting words, aren't they? Kind of reads like a, like a good novel. The sky, sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Now, to put this in context, church family, when we're introduced to Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe, what is Elijah doing? He's going to Ahab and he's saying, guess what? By my word, which comes from the power of God, by the way, the one true God, it is not going to rain for a period of years. He is pronouncing a drought. And so now, we see that this is not just a rain cloud, church. This is prophecy fulfilled. Because after a period of drought in the land, a drought that Elijah pronounced because God told him to, bold prophet that he was, that now it's starting to rain. And what has just happened, if you know what goes on in 1 Kings 18... This is where Elijah, by himself, stands down, faces down those 450 prophets of Baal. Now, if you're with us this morning, you think, now who is Baal? Well, Baal is actually not just one god. Baal, the name Baal represents a group of pagan gods. And so Ahab was a king. Ahab was not a good king. Ahab did not worship God. Ahab made the mistake of marrying a woman named Jezebel. And Jezebel was a devout worshiper of these pagan gods, the Baals. And so Jezebel is back in Jezreel when Elijah... And Ahab and these 450 prophets of Baal are gathering on Mount Carmel. And they do everything they can, all 450 of them, to call down fire from heaven. And then Elijah, in his boldness, says, you know, after he has taunted them, then he takes this altar that's got wood on it. And he has them dig a trench around it. And he fills the trench with water and he pours water over all the wood. And if you've ever started a fire, you know that the last thing you want to do is try to light wet wood. But that's how bold Elijah is in this moment. He's going to call down fire from heaven and he's going to set this thing ablaze. And it's soaking wet because he wants the people there to see how powerful Jehovah is. How powerful Yahweh, the God who saves the one true God, how powerful he is.
So they had had all this time, they'd had all day to get a fire going. No success. And then he says, God, the one true God, and he make it happen. And then boom, fire. And we're told in 1 Kings that not only did it burn up everything on the altar, it evaporated the water. It was such a hot fire, it evaporates the water in the trench around the altar. And so that has just happened. And now, boom, here come the storm clouds. Now, Ahab is not on foot. Ahab is very most likely king that he is traveling by chariot. Ron Riley's class this morning, looking at the book of Acts, he mentioned uh, the Ethiopian official traveling by chariot. And we talked about how rare chariots might have been, and we likened it to today the number of people in the world that get to travel by private jet. Not many. And so here Ahab is in a chariot. And what does the word of the Lord say, church? That he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now, it would be easy for a skeptic to say, now wait a second. This guy who might be fairly advanced in years is going to outrun a chariot? Well, he pronounced a drought. He pronounced an end to the drought. He called fire down from heaven. So he's doing all this, we know, church, not by his own human power, but by the divine power of the one true God. Amen? Amen. And so it's no mystery how he outruns a chariot from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. I didn't take the time to look up the distance. That might have been interesting. 17 miles. Asked and answered. Did you Google that? You got all those maps in the back of your Bible? Liberal. Yeah, 17 miles. Man, I've seen my wife run 13.1 half marathon. And she's kind of tired when she finishes. I don't see her run the whole thing because that means I'd have to run it with her. <laughs> that, ain't, that ain't happening. No, 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 no. I'm, I, I, I see her off. I go, I take a nap in the car and then I, I set my alarm because about the time that I think she's going to finish and I get there and I wait about half an hour and there she is and, and it, it's, it's awesome. I'm there to, to, to receive her and hug her and say, way to go! You know, I'm her number one cheerleader, 13.1 miles. That's awesome. You're going to be tired. Yeah. And then what does what the prophet do, though? According to Brother Duncan, 17 miles. All the way, out running that chariot and those team of horses. Yeah. Power of God, church. He gets there. Because Jezebel is probably under the impression back there in Jezreel that, hey, look at those storm clouds. This is the Baal. Yeah, this is the storm god. 
who's doing this. So the hubs and his 400, the 450 prophets of the gods we worship must have been victorious at Mount Carmel. And then Ahab shows up and tells her a very, very different story. We look at 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay deep under then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, I know we've got at least one or two college football fans in the audience. You ever seen one of those games where after a quarterback has played like the game of his life, he gets over to the bench, the clock's still rolling, there's a couple minutes left, but it's it's all just a matter of finishing out the game because his team has won. And it was one of those primetime games where the spotlight's on him. People may have questioned whether or not he could deliver the goods. And I've seen this scene played out several times over the years. He doesn't want to see, you know, he doesn't want the cameras on his face when he's letting the emotion go. And so he takes a towel, drapes it over his head, and just sits on the bench. And he lets it all out. Because he's answered the bell. He delivered. And he is just emotionally spent. He is an absolute wreck at this moment. And I see Elijah right here. No, this isn't just a primetime football game on ESPN or ABC. Elijah has stood there and been so faithful to God. He has stood there and he has said, he, he has called down fire from heaven. He ran more than a half marathon. And in his mind, I really think he thought that what happened at Mount Carmel would put an end to all this nonsense of worshiping pagan gods. That finally, finally, 
Ahab and Jezebel would come to their senses and fall to their knees and say, we understand now. Our gods are worthless. Our gods are fiction. And your God is the one true God who is worthy of our worship. But that's not what happened, is it, church? No. Jezebel, wicked woman that she is, a name that has stood the test of time, hasn't it? It's still a name that's synonymous with evil. And so Jezebel pronounces this curse on Elijah and says, May I be dealt with severely if by this time tomorrow you're not as dead as all of those prophets that I've already had put to death by the sword. And we know because God's Word tells us that Elijah in that moment is struck with what, church? Fear. He is struck with fear and he goes on the run. Have you ever had a moment of your life, maybe even a season of your life, where you wrestled with doubt? Your faith was rocked just a bit. I remember being 27 years old and buying a business. Probably had no business buying a business when I was 27 years old. But my wife, who has always been an encourager of mine, said, buy that store. Buy that store. You can run it. You can do it. You can make a go of it. And man, I, after managing it for a few years, I bought it and then I poured everything I could into that. My son was an infant and I remember I would come home at night and I would, I would have supper with the family and I was chief bottle washer. And I would wash all his little bottles and I would mix the formula and I would get them all in the fridge and you know, day, you know the next day's worth of bottles there in the fridge and then I would go lie down for a bit and then I would go to a convenience store about 10 o'clock after Stacy and Baird are in bed I'd go to a convenience store and I'd buy, buy a 20 ounce Dr. Pepper and two packs of Reese's Pieces because, you know, everybody needs that much sugar in their diet late at night. I say that most facetiously, of course. But yeah, that powered me through the evening. I'd go back to the store, and I would do book work, and I would pay invoices. I'd do the daily report, figured out, did we make anything that day? Some days it was woohoo, and some days it was help us, Lord. But I remember standing in that empty space before I moved the, lo- the store after I bought it from one location to another. I remember standing in that empty space and saying, God bless this effort. And so at age 30, when I'm locking the doors for the final time, and I feel like I have just failed, I remember thinking, God, you know, it wasn't like I laid down on this job. 
it wasn't like I didn't do the work. It wasn't like I didn't pour 70 hours a week into this place. Week in, week out. What happened here? Where were you in all this? Now, my story is about a failed business venture. Elijah's story is about a guy who's had somebody threaten his life. To put that in perspective. But we think about Elijah's situation in the context of what just happened. All that boldness, all that faith. And then to turn around and run. To run scared. All because of one evil woman. Now, he had seen the manifestation of what that evil woman could do. But still, he really wanted Elijah in that point of the story to just stand up to her, right? To just get in her face and say, I've called down fire once today. I can do it again, babe. But I'm going to stand over here. Because I know how hot that fire is when God sends it. But no, he didn't do that. Now he runs. Why? Because church, as I sat here, stood here, a moment ago and said, you ever had a moment of doubt or even a season of doubt? Maybe it was your own failed venture. Maybe it was a failed relationship. Maybe it was a relationship that was severed by death. Maybe it was in a a dark time of grief for you. But you wondered, God, I'm faithful to you. I worship you. I'm not feeling you right now. That's why I look to men like Elijah and much later, John the Baptist. As bold as they were, they had their moments of doubt. Church family, I've walked alongside many Christians who have had a season of doubt. And what I've found every time, when they wonder how real God is, every single time I've seen them come out on the other side knowing that God is real and having a faith that is so much stronger than when they began that season of doubt. Doubting makes you human. Doubting is an opportunity to strengthen your foundation of faith to be something that can never be shaken again. And so I say, if you ever found yourself in a season of doubt, you might be in one now, there might be one around the corner, and you just don't know it yet. But I say lean into that doubt. And you find out what our friend Elijah is about to find out as we continue in 1 Kings 19. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. A great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of of the cave. That church, there are some biblical scholars that believe this is the very cleft of the rock where Moses had stood when God passed by. When Moses said, I want to see you, and God said, you can't look upon my face, but you stand in the cleft of the rock and I will pass by. And so now Elijah is having this moment on the mountain with God. And we get the power of God in our study on Wednesday night in the book of Revelation. We've, we've discussed how you know things like earthquakes are Jewish metaphors for God's power. And so right here God's power is on full display. We've had the earthquake, we've had the raging fire, we've had the mighty wind, and God, as Elijah is finding out, was not present in any of that. What was he present in, church? The whisper, that's right. And it's appropriate that you whispered that. Yeah. It's a reminder, church. We want to hear God. We need to be still. We need to be still and know that He is God. And so, then here comes the voice again. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Same answer, isn't it, church? It's like, this is my story and I'm sticking to it. This is why I'm here. This is why I ran. And what does he say there, church, that's very telling? I am the only one. A few months ago, we looked at a series, four weeks long, on the most popular lies of the enemy. And what was one of Satan's lies? You're the only one. When Satan convinces us that we are alone, we often make the mistake of buying into that lie and thinking we are all alone. Because if he can convince us that we're alone and we allow ourselves to be cut off from everyone else, then he knows that at that point, we're pretty much going to be worthless for God's kingdom. Elijah was worthless enough in this moment that it wasn't 
too far back in the story that he was saying, just take my life. Just take my life. If you take my life, it'll be less violent than me dying the way some of my fellow prophets have died. And so here he is saying, you know, it's over. I can do no more good. I'm done. I've done it all. And she's still breathing out threats. And he says to Yahweh, I am the only one. And so now, when we have our pity party, is often when we get perspective from God. Right, church? And that's what Elijah needs right now. He needs truth. He needs perspective. And this perspective goes for us. Because the reality is, we are never alone. If we are children of God, we are never alone. And the reality is there is a faith community around us if we will just reach out to it. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Yehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha the son of Shaphat from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Yehu went, Yehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Yehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. You think you're alone, man? There's 7,000 more where you came from. There's 7,000 more who know the truth. 7,000 more who have said, I will not bow a knee to these false fictional gods. I will worship continually the one true God. Church family, how these ancient words apply to you today? When we are overcome with fear, when we buy into the lies of the enemy, it is in those moments that we become cut off from God, we become become cut off from God's people. And we are paralyzed spiritually. Paul reminded Timothy, he reminds us today, that the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1.7 Church, let's say that together. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Church family, God is love. But God is also power. God is power. And He is powerful enough that if we trust Him, He will see us through the darkest places that this world has for us. Church family, let's not ever buy into the lies. 
Let's be people who know that God is with us and that there are others like us around. If you find yourself at a point in life where you're saying, God, I feel all alone, that is the point where you need to say, God, I know what your word tells us. I know there are other believers out there. I need you to put one of them in my path. Put one of them in my path, Lord. You watch out. Because you will get what you ask for. And what a beautiful thing that will be. You say, God, I'm feeling all alone right now. It may be at 2 o'clock tomorrow. It may be two weeks from now. It may be Christmas Day. I don't know. But at some point in the future, you're going to have, it might be a season, it might be a moment where you feel alone. And I want you to have enough faith in God and His love for you and His power to say, God, I need someone in my path. I need to know that there's a believer near me today. I need to know that you are near me today. And you pray that prayer and you watch what happens. Because God will put somebody in your path that will speak a word of kindness, a word of encouragement, and maybe even more. And you will be blessed by your faith. If you're with us this morning and you've not availed yourself to the love or the power of the one true God, we offer the waters of baptism. We offer you the opportunity to come and say that one simple thing, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We offer the waters of baptism that you could participate in the death, burial, and resurrection and walk in new life. If you've got something weighing on you and you need the prayers of brothers and sisters in Christ, the invitation is sung for that reason as well. Let's stand together and sing. Hey.